Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we're getting to the Memphis Grizzlies now. Another team that I'm very interested to get the flavor of with one Chris Harrington. How are you? I'm doing well. How's it going, mate? Uh, I'm doing really well. And usually where I like to start with these is talking about how good the team was last year. But where I really wanted to focus in specifically on that is how important were the grit and grind teammates, or the soul of that many would say, Tony Allen and Zach Randolph, to what they were doing last season? Um, well, you know, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, I think they were very important to the team's rebounding. I think that loss is going to be felt a lot. Uh, Zach was still one of the elite rebounders in the NBA. Tony Allen was still one of the best rebounding guards in the NBA. So I think that that's going to hurt them. On the offensive and defensive end, I mean, Tony Allen was, you know, voted second team all defense, but when you watched him play, the gamble and recovery was not quite what it had been in the past. He seemed to be losing a little bit of a step. Still a plus defender, but not the chaos agent he was in his prime. And Zach Randolph, you know, was a minus defensive and offensively, he um something I was going to get to you know in more of a general sense, but he, he was not he got he got numbers in terms of points, but he, not very efficiently. And I as much as I I love having Zach Randolph in Memphis, he's one of my favorite players to interact with. I don't think the Randolph loss in particular is going to necessarily hurt the team as much as some people might think this season. Yeah, Randolph I think had the lowest true shooting percentage of his career, below fifty percent true shooting, and a, yeah, a he, high he, usage. He, Here's that you're leading me, and here's, here's the stat I was going to give you on that very very specific thing. There are a couple of issues with the Grizzlies' offense last season that were a little more under the radar. One of them was the, the usage and efficiency aspect with Randolph was way out of whack. Now they didn't have shot creators on the bench, so I mean they needed someone who could just create shots, and he did that for them. But if you look at the um, the usage rate rankings, like on the ESPN site, Zach Randolph a had the highest usage usage rate on the on the Grizzlies. He was 19th in the entire NBA among qualified players use a trade but with a true shooting percentage of under 50 percent and for you to find another player on the usage rate list with a lower true shooting percentage than Zach Randolph you got to get down to the late 60s with like Emmanuel Moutier <laughs> and so the, the the rate that they were using him versus the efficiency of which he was scoring was, was, was way out of whack last season yeah and maybe you could make the argument that well you know that he had to take those shots they didn't have anyone else on that second unit if they weren't going right. to start him that they had to keep him happy by having on the second year maybe that's why he's no longer in memphis as well that that is a problem that they just didn't want to have to deal with anymore knowing that he wasn't the best option to start against a lot of teams and yet feeling like okay we have to placate this guy who's been a, a franchise legend well no you know it, it was the right role for last season's team i'm just talking about you know going forward there's a question of how they make up for that shot creation but yes. they, it was not an efficient use use of offense um last season so i was doing a mailbag a couple of weeks ago and one of the listeners wrote in and said oh now that the grit and grind era is over with tony allen and zach randolph living is there this feeling in memphis you know there's they're talking about how nobody's gonna wear zach randolph's number anymore is there a feeling that it is a new era that's over or, or because conley and gasol are still there that it, it's a continuation of the same well i mean the team is certainly trying to keep the grit and grind slogan um very actively um it, but but i think everyone knows that the style of play is changing significantly that the personality of the team is changing um the success is very much up, uh, an open question um, for this season. Um, and I think there, there's a transition I'm, that is clear. The question is, is it a transition into a long, you know, an, an extended, are they going to be able to extend this playoff streak and extend this period of, you know, at least regular season basketball success with a different style of player on Mike Conley Marcus Gasol, or is it 
really the beginning of the end of, of this, and you're going to have to go through a down period to, before you get to something completely new. And that, that's really the question. Yeah, and so just in general, last season, 43 and 39, they had a net rating of 0.1, so slightly exceeding their net rating, but not as much as they had in all past years in terms of their win total uh, being a lot better than what their point differential was as a team that had long done that every year, was grading close games. They did kind of pack it in towards the end. You know, I think they went like 3-11 and 11 over their last few games or so, or 3-9 and nine over their over their last 12. Um, but how good were these guys last year? They had a nice uh, showing against the Spurs in the playoffs, losing in six, uh, won some close games. Um, you know, was this a team that was better than that 43-39 and 39 record, or is that about like the baseline we should be starting at for evaluating? Oh, I, I, I think that record this year is a pretty accurate reflection of what they were. And in those strokes, they were sort of similar to what they have been, which was a top 10 defense, a mediocre offense, a slow pace, a team that's in the bottom half of the West playoff race and is a tough out in the playoffs but doesn't get very far. And that is that is in broad strokes sort of what the team has been in this era, and that's sort of what they were. Um, I think, you know, but I think below that there were a lot of changes taking place. I think David Fisdell had come in and done, a lot, and done some things that needed to be done that, that Dave Yeager had sort of tried the season before but hadn't gotten completely implemented. Moving Zach Randolph to the bench was one of them, which Yeager flirted with but couldn't make stick. Um, Fisdell unlocked um, Marcus Gasol's shooting and got him to expand the three-point range, just something I've been writing about for three years. And I know people in the front office wanted to see happen. He made that happen. And he really sort of got Mike Conley to play differently, to loosen up and become a more aggressive scorer. Um, the guy who's going to come off the dribble and, and, and pull up and take a three and not be sort of in total control as a facilitator all the time and, and to get Conley to be to be more of a scorer. And you saw those advances with Mike Conley and Mark Sola offensively, and yet they were only 19th on offense, only three spots better ranking-wise than they were the season before when it was like an, an injury cataclysm. And so I think I think there were some anchors on, on their on their offense last year. One of those was the Randall thing we mentioned. The other one I think is important in terms of why why they may be in position to be better at least offensively this season than last season is I think the Grizzlies probably devoted more minutes to terrible shooters last season than any other team in the NBA. If you look at players who played at least 400 minutes, the Grizzlies employed four of the 12 worst shooters by effective field goal percentage in the NBA last season. And that includes the guy who was dead last on that list, which is Wade Baldwin, the rookie point guard. It includes the guy who played the most minutes, which is Andrew Harrison, who played 1,500 minutes with one of the worst shooting shooting performances in the NBA. It included the most disappointing player on that list, which is Chandler Parsons, who was an anchor the entire time he played. And then Jarrell Martin was the other. And if you added Tony Douglas, who didn't quite meet that minutes threshold, the Grizzlies devoted more than 3,500 minutes last season to players with an effective field goal percentage of under 42%. So I just think there were a lot of, while Conley and Gasol were better than ever, at least scores, there were so many drags and so many anchors last season on what David Fizzell was trying to do offensively, that if they can just remove some of that weight, I think they got a chance to at least be better offensively this season. Yeah, and maybe Tyreek Evans, Parsons coming back, who of course we'll get to. I know you wanted to wait to do this until we saw a little look at him in, in preseason. Right. I got huge expectations after uh, Tim McMahon's glowing report on, on his, uh, <laughs> his right. off-season work, but uh, yeah, and, and Harrison is always someone, I mean, we thought last year backup point guard is going to be this absolutely enormous hole for them and that they just are not going to play that well but they only were actually just slightly in the negative with Harrison which is shocking considering that he shot 32 percent they even played him alongside Conley in the playoffs like yeah what were you gonna say sorry the thing with Harrison last year he was actually pretty good defensively yeah um he was they were good last year when he was on the floor with Mike Cobb yeah when Conley was when the ball was in Harrison's hand Harrison's hand as as the lead guard, sole point guard, the offense died. And so they did they did pretty well with him on the floor, Conley, him, him and Conley together, because he could guard both backcourt positions. He could handle the ball a little bit and help Conley free up. But as a, as a true point guard on his own, it was it was pretty bad last season. So uh, I think where we can move to now is how are some of the new additions going to fit in? Uh, I want to start with Tyreek Evans, who my thought would be, at least, I, I haven't seen their preseason game yet, uh, but that he would kind of be operating as the primary ball handler on the second unit. Is that the plan for using him? That is the that is the assumption. Um, David Fisdale has suggested this uh, open competition for the starting two guards slot. Best man wins. I don't think that's really true. I think it's going to be a matter, you know, of, of what works in terms of lineup combinations and roles. And I think it makes the most sense. And other people in the organization 
information have confirmed this. And it makes the most sense for Tiger Cavins to be the sixth man. Um, and so, and in some ways, he's replacing Zach Randall, um, but in a more traditional sense as a, a ball handler create ball handler creator off the bench, more of your traditional perimeter six man. And so I think the expectation is likely he's going to come off the bench to be sort of a six man role, to be to, to, to drive a lot of the offense in the second unit. He can obviously play one, two, three, play all, all around the perimeter. And so if he's healthy, I think he's a good fit in that role. Obviously, I think he played, I don't remember the number, but it like 60 games over the past two seasons. Um, I was really hoping to see him, uh, but he didn't play the first preseason game. He's not going to play the second either because of migraine. But there's been a lot of optimism about him in camp. I mean, people I've talked to have been in, in the practice and in the training camp have, 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 have been more optimistic on him than they have been on Parsons, for example. And so people in Memphis feel like Evans might be healthy, um, healthier than he's been the last couple of seasons, and that maybe he can really help them in that, that bench role. Yeah, my hope was that either Evans or Parsons, one of those guys, could give them some additional perimeter creation that they didn't have last year. Yeah, no, no, I, I think it's a matter, you know, I mean, Chandler Parsons is not going to be what they signed him to be. Um, Tyreek Evans is not going to be what he was early in his career. But I think there is hope that this team's collective battery of, of perimeter players outside of Mike Conley can give them more more playmaking, more ball handling, more shooting as a group than they got last season as a group, which is not a very high bar to clear. Um, last, I mean, their best perimeter player last season ever than Mike Conley was Vince Carter at age 40. Yeah, you're, uh, this is going a little out of order but i mean you basically said chandler parsons will not be what they signed him to be and i guess if you miss basically an entire season on a max contract that's probably the case but I mean, is that really where it's at at this point that they're just there's no hope that, that he can get back to being the player that he was i, mean, I have no hope not to be not to be not to that contract not being his previous best self my question with parsons i mean chandler parsons was legitimately one of the worst players in the nba last oh season. yeah it was awful he was he, he was never healthy enough to play he was they, they, the team claimed last season that he was on a minutes restriction. The reality is he was on a minutes mandate. They were running him out there 20 minutes guaranteed every night just trying to play his way into shape. It was like a, a, a minor league rehab stint in baseball but with, with the main team. And it got to the point that it gummed up things even more beyond his own inability because the team people didn't want to pass him the ball. I mean he, he it got it got to the point where it was a farce on the floor. He should not have been playing. And so there was literally nowhere to go, go but up this season because if he is if he was that bad again. He was not. They were not going to force. They're not going to force him down. You know, or the team's throat like they did last season. And so he'll either be better or he'll play less. Um, my expectation, not even my expectation. What what I was wondering is, was can I project Chandler Parsons to be an average rot- rotation player for half a season? Like that. That even that would be an upgrade significantly over last season. And what what he's shown so far in, in training camp and in the first preseason game is he, did, he didn't look great, but he looks a lot better than he ever did last season um conditioning is obviously an issue he got very winded early in that first game but he's moving okay and so i think the expectation is not for chandler parsons or even the hope is not for chandler parsons to be the clear-cut third best player on this team which is what he was signed to be the expectation is can he be or the hope is can he be a positive member of the rotation um a guy who who gets minutes with tyree gavin james dennis and wayne selden and some of these other perimeter players and he gives you some shooting and gives you some ball handling gives you some versatility I think he'll play maybe as much as at the four as at the three. But to me, you're looking at him to be a rotation cog, a positive rotation cog. He is he he is not going to be the borderline star or clear cut third option that he was envisioned to be. I, I think that's very unlikely. Yeah, are you basing that on saying, well, he was just so bad last year, and guys just don't come back from from these type of injuries having that bad of a season, or is well, that also it's, based it's, on just where he's at right now and what you're hearing, what you're it's, seeing? It's, 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 it's all of the above, but it's, three, yeah. it's not just an injury. It's three consecutive years of season-ending knee injuries, yeah. and you know this. I, I think there's an awareness that he is he is he seems to be permanently limited, at least in terms of his health. In terms of if I don't think his knees are ever going to be what they were before the injury set. I just think that's the reality. Um, the, the good part with him is that he is not, you know, he needs to be healthy enough, but he's not reliant entirely on athleticism. It's size and skill. He, you know, it's passing, it's shooting, it's the, the size to play both forward spots. And so if he if he's healthy enough, he can help the team. But I just I just think there's no way you can project him to be more than 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 a, a rotation player and not 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 you know not not a, not anything approaching a star or even like you know a 15 point a game you know third option. I don't think I think that that's actually 
asking, asking way too much at this point. Yeah, maybe he turns into like a Nemanja Bialica type who can maybe play a little bit better defense than that. You know, maybe that's what's going to be the outcome for him at this point, which is a disappointment. I know they felt like, hey, we have no other way to spend this money at the time. He was the highest upside player basically left on the board that they could have signed. I'm sure they knew about all of his issues. They just hoped that he was going to be able to recover. It was a gamble for a team that had a one-time hit of cap space, basically. And in retrospect, right. it would have been better to just kind of keep the powder dry a little bit with that team and just be able to still use the mid-level exception and not have to worry about the taxes. Yeah, much I, mean, I, mean, I mean, there are a lot of like might have been with that. I mean, they could have sure. theoretically spread the money around a little bit. I mean, because you've got like Eric Gordon and I was making up names. It's something like like Eric Gordon and Jared Dudley for the what's your made for yeah for um you know for Caleb Parsons or something like that, which would have been a lot better for the team last season. And I think I think it was a fake, and I think it was it was red flagged when Dallas wanted no part of it. Right. But they've rolled the dice before. I mean, they've rolled the dice on Zach Randolph, and nobody wanted Zach Randolph. Um. So you know, this team, Chris Wallace has a history of like you know when you're in a small market, you got to risk. I think is his sort of attitude, and sometimes they pay off, and sometimes they don't. This one did. Yeah. So Ben McLemore, another guy, uh, one of those reclamation projects, actually. Uh, there yeah. gave him two years, about eleven million dollars to come in, be the three and D shooting guard, perhaps that they have perpetually been looking for here. And Wayne Selden, though, also uh, is someone who looked good in summer league, started down the end of last year. You mentioned Evans in that competition, potentially at, at shooting guard as well. Uh, Macklemore out now with a broken foot. But uh, how do you see that shooting guard rotation shaking out uh, to the extent well, you can say with with Macklemore injured? When they signed Macklemore, I think it was, it was with the idea that he was going to get first crack at the starting job. And I, I think that was the team's intent. Obviously, the summer went a different way with him breaking the foot, with Selden having such a great summer league. And so I think now it's, it's very likely Wayne Selden is the starting two guard on opening night. Evans is coming off the bench, and McLemore will wait his turn when he gets back healthy. Um, McLemore is kind of, you know, we talk about Chris Wallace sort of being, being a, a guy who likes to take risks, but I think McLemore as much fits into, like, the idea, the way that John Hollinger, Grizzlies DP, um, thinks and the way David Fisdell, the coach, thinks. Yeah. And that, you know, when, when John was a writer, he coined the term second draft. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's the idea that the young, young, you know, players coming into the league younger than before, they get off their rookie contracts younger than before. And if you sometimes there are guys who go to the wrong situation, and you can be better in a new situation, and it presents sort of a buy low opportunity for the quote unquote second draft. I'm not sure they bought very low on Ben McElroy. <laughs> in fact, I think they, it seems to me like they overpaid. But he fits in theory. I mean, I don't have a lot of faith in it based on what was some four years is a long time not to be good. Sure. But in theory, he fits the second draft idea. Like he's former top 10 pick. Dill Young, he is, you know, he's at least a league average three-point shooter. Like, that's a real skill. Um, a good athlete. And so, can you tap into more? You know, we have four coaches in four years and a rough organization in Sacramento. So, you can talk yourself into, like, there's a untapped potential there. But then you have David Sinsdale, who comes from a very strong player development background in Miami. Like, they, in Miami, they've done a great job of finding guys, you know, your Rodney Magruder's, Josh Richardson's, and, and et cetera, et cetera. You know, Tyler Johnson. And finding players and getting more out of them than has previously been shown. I think one of the reasons they hired David Fisdale, among many reasons, is, is they wanted better player development. That's been a real problem in Memphis over the last, you know, half a decade or so. And so I think David Fisdale sees McLemore as a also as a as a reclamation project, as as a, as a ball of clay that he can do something with. So I think, rightly or wrongly, the organization has a lot of interest in in, in McLemore. And so when he gets healthy, I think they, they have a lot invested to give him a shot to, to get to have that starting two guard job. But you know, Wayne Stone's going to have a chance to run with it. I think in the first yeah there's something that goes together to me with the idea of a second draft is i think that many players in the nba reach an inflection point especially if you're drafted pretty early on as macklemore was to where hey you're being drafted to be a star we need you to work on your game get better at, at ball handling we want you to handle in pick and roll we want you to be a creator we expect you to average 20 points a game and you know unless you're jimmy butler a lot of players reach an inflection point where it's like all right you're you're not going to be that we realize that but now can you work on the things that can actually still make you a player that's conducive to win and macklemore has some raw tools there right he gets great rise on his jump shot uh, he's can hit some spot up shots and he's got some good tools defensively even if he doesn't have the best feel on either end so in a more limited role perhaps maybe they will be able to make something out of him perhaps that's the theory yeah i mean they, they needed a young a young shooting guard who can run the floor and knock down threes for a long time and they've been important courtney lee was kind of that for a little while but you know it's been tony allen and it's 
it's been bent. Um, and, you know, they, they, they haven't had a real shooter in that position. And so I hope that the Macklemore can be that. All right. So quickly on, I'm going to give you a list. There's another veteran addition you have not mentioned that I think is going to be quite meaningful, though. Is it, are you going to Mario Chalmers? Is that where we are here? I'm going, I'm going Mario Chalmers. He's on a partial guarantee. He's going to make the team. I think he'll be the backup point guard on opening night. He looked shockingly good in the first season of the game. Um, on media day, one of my colleagues asked him, you know, when you have this Achilles injury, it takes a, it usually takes a while to get over that. And his response was, you know, it's been a while. It took an entire season off. It took almost a year and a half off. Um, I was almost as interested in seeing him in the first season game as seeing Chandler Parsons from a health perspective. And he looked, he looked, he looked, he looked fine. He looked every bit as good as he did before the injury. If that keeps up, he'll make the team and he'll not only be Conley's backup, he'll play a lot of minutes even beyond that. I think he'll play some Conley Chalmers backwards. Who is he going to make the team at the expense of, you think? They, they, they're they going to have a decision to make between Andrew Harrison and Wade Baldwin. If they keep Chalmers, and I think they're going to keep Chalmers, one of those guys is going to have to go. And it's going to be an interesting decision because Harrison is better. If you're playing a game tonight, Harrison is better. He's more polished, more experienced. Um, you just spent a first-round pick on Wade Baldwin. He has much more physical upside. Um, there's no way I would cut Wade Baldwin one year on his career. And so I, I, I think I think Andrew Harrison may be on thin ice to stay on the roster. Huh. Yeah, I mean, and Baldwin definitely, even based on Summer League, not quite ready. And Harrison at least has no. some history of effective play, even though, you know, again, his individual statistics were so miserable last year. So I want to do quickly here, I'm going to give you the names of a lot of, a bunch of young guys on the team who are kind of out of the rotation and maybe right. rank them in order you think that they might actually contribute this season. So here we go. Dylan Brooks, Rade Zagorac, Ivan Rab, Deontay Davis. Um, of those four, um, Dave, Davis is the one that at the moment the most is going to be, they're going to depend on the most. Um, they don't, they're deep enough on the wing that they don't necessarily need Brooks and Zag- I think it's Zagorac. Okay. Brooks and Zagorac to um, contribute right away unless there's a rash of injuries. But they're going to need one of the young bigs to play. I mean, they've got, if everybody's healthy, they don't need them every night. They'll have Gasol, Jermichael Green, Brandon Wright. That's your core front court rotation. They're going to play much more small ball than a year ago. I think you're going to see a lot of Chandler Parsons at the four. But Chandler Parsons is not playing 82 games. Brandon Wright's not playing 82 games. Marcus Hall is not playing 82 games. They're going to be a lot of nights where they need one of those young bigs in the rotation. And so either Deontay Davis or Ivan Rabb is going to half play. And and Davis has been with the team. He's not a year older. I think he may even be younger. But he's been with the team a year more. He's not a rookie. They really want him to be the backup center. I think, you know, to make, I think they'd like him to make Brandon Wright expendable, if not this season, then after this season at least. And so they really want Deontay Davis to be a rotation player on this team. Um, they see rebounding as a potential big problem with Zach Randolph and Tony Allen leaving. Davis has the potential to be the best rebounder on the team. And so they really want Deontay Davis play. Um, his summer league was disappointing. Um, he's young. He's not particularly mature. Not particularly skilled. Other there's some there's some some stuff there to work with. Jump shot doesn't look too bad. Maybe he could you know develop a little 12 to 15 footer. But not particularly skilled. But he blocks shots. He rebounds. He's a presence around the rim. If you can get him a little more focused, playing with a little more energy, fouling less, I think there's some hope that he could be a rotation player. Certainly of the guys you mentioned, he is by far the one they will, they're they're depending on the most to start the season. Yeah, I was disappointed with his summer league as well, in particular because he didn't have the pop off the floor that yeah. I remembered him having. You know, and, and maybe that's sometimes guys if they're trying to put on some weight around the time of summer league, they'll kind of be in the building phase and not the trimming phase. So maybe they won't be as explosive. Other times, you know, it, it's an issue. And so yeah, I, I didn't see I wanted to see him look like, hey, you know, this is an NBA big man playing against summer league guys and we didn't quite see that from him he had some foot injury problems as a rookie sure. and it reoccurred late in his rookie season in the spring and there was some thought that there were still some lingering effects from that into the summer but no i mean it, it, it was a disappointing summer for them by far um I, you know he didn't look great in the first preseason game it's a preseason game but he's a player that you know they really want to be a factor and it, and it remains to be seen whether he can be yeah well it wouldn't be like a grizzly to have a, a recurring injury to, to the same, the same no. part of their body uh so usually i like to talk about potential regression candidates and the two guys i want to focus in on are two guys who in some ways had career years last year right. mike conley and marcus soul when we talked last time we were wondering whether marcus soul was ever going to be the same coming off that broken foot and then he had this unbelievable year in part by stretching out to the three-point line but now at age 32 like he's got to take a little bit of a step back this year doesn't he yeah the interesting thing with gasol if you look at 
his season, I was talking about this this week, about him and Conley. And with Gasol, he had probably his best season from a scoring passing perspective. Like he, he extended the shot out in the three-point range. It was his highest scoring average. Um, I think it may have been his highest assist ratio, lowest turnover. As a shooter and passer, he had a great year. Yeah. But the defense, while still good, was not at his previous high levels. I agree. The rebounding was the worst was the worst of his career. Um, I think you know he, he would deny this with it to his last breath. I think fatigue was an issue. He was not as good after the All-Star break as before. He was not as good late in the playoff series with the Spurs as early. He had the second highest minutes per game of any center in the league. The only center who averaged more minutes per game was Carl Anthony Towns, who was like 21, 22 years old. And so they're putting a heavy burden on him in terms of minutes and games, and they're asking him to do everything uh, on both ends of the floor. And I, and you, when you look at the difference between what he was good at last season and where some of the cracks were, to me it suggests that he was stronger in areas related to skill and vision and smart shooting passing. He's going to be a good shooter and passer when he's in a rock chair. But things related to physicality, to quickness, to stamina, defense, rebounding, you know, holding your level performance across those heavy minutes, those are where you started to see a little bit of decline. And so I do wonder if that, if that was a reflection of some natural age-related decline you saw last season. Yeah, early in the year especially, I, I saw that it was a really a struggle for him to in pick and roll mobility wise i mean he's never obviously the quickest player um but yeah i mean one thing i i hadn't realized about him but i should have is that you know he had the highest usage percentage of his career last year by two percent he was 26 percent usage which is uh quite high but yeah i mean he must have still been doing something right on defense because they still had a quality defensive yeah yeah i think he was still a good defender and especially in a team context it's sort of a quarterback in that team defense um but he's not you know he's not the all nba um, defensive player of your level he was a couple of years ago and he he is committed to trying to be a better rebounder this season with Zach Randolph gone. I just don't know if you can depend on him to do everything anymore and so I, I, I feel like they need to be more conscious of his minutes which he hates and I also wonder even though he he was his best shooting scoring season last year people always want him to be a greedier scorer than he is it's not really his instinct I almost think the Grizzlies would be better off if they can find more playmaking scoring around the perimeter this season from Tyreek Evans Chandler Parsons some of those players I wonder if they would be better off letting Gasol sort of step back a little bit on that offensive be more of a you know top uh, high uh, more of an elbow top of the key shooter passer and put more energy into the defense and rebounding and try to play a little bit more of a balanced game instead of trying to to shoulder everything but 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 but, but to your point um that's a regression candidate when you're entering age 33 as a center I mean it's he's got to be a regression candidate yeah about his rebounding they did they were quite good defensive rebound percentage when he was uh, on the floor uh 78.6% percent that that's good i mean it, but he only personally had a 10 percent overall rebound percentage he, which is amazing he is, yeah there are a couple of things there one he's a, he doesn't he doesn't even try for offensive rebounds for the most part Oh, yeah. Um, he, he he goes back to set up his offensive rebound rate was like two percent or something. I mean, he focuses on trying to set up the defense. He's always let you know the Tony Allen, the Zach Randolph of the world crash the boards. He worries about setting up the defense. Obviously, he took so many more threes last year. He spent more time on the perimeter. And in terms of defensive rebounding, I think he he can and, and needs to be better. But when you watch him play, he is an unusually deferential rebounder. You see him all the time. He'll seal his man and let a, a Zach Randolph, Jamichael Green, or whatever just get the easy rebound. He doesn't care about his own rebound he cares about the team rebounding which as you know i mean the team rebounding with him on the floor reflects better on him than his individual rebound numbers and when you watch him play every night that is not rising but i do think especially with randall's gone they're going to need him to be better on the boards all right uh what do you see as some of the other I and mean, we've talked about a few of them obviously but what are some of the other playing time competitions uh that dave fizdale is going to have to shake out here um you know i think the wings the, the wings is up for grabs. obviously you're going to have conley gasol and michael green are going to be three starters Everyone assumes Caleb Parsons is going to be a starter at the three. I think that's likely given the contract and given the pressure and given sort of, you know, some of the reaction of bringing him off the bench. But I don't think it's a given that starts. It would not shock me if James Ennis started at the three and they use Parsons, you know, as sort of a combo forward off the bench. I think that's a possibility. I think at the two, and they haven't announced it, I expect Wayne Selden to start. Um, and so, you know, I think Brandon Wright's the third big. Either Parsons or Ennis is in the rotation, whoever's not starting. Either Selden or Evans is in the rotation over is not starting and I think Chalmers is your backup point guard um, and so I think that that's your team the issue is that you have so so you don't really need other than Selden if everyone's healthy you don't need the kids as part of your protected rotation but 
but there are so many injury-related questions on this team, especially the veterans outside of Gasol and um, Conley. But you you got to have some of these unproven young players ready to play. And so I think Wade Baldwin and Andrew Harrison are competing for a role at least and maybe for a roster spot. Um, Brooks and Ronnie Zagarit are competing at least for a spot in the pecking order when injuries hit, although when Ben McLemore comes back, he'll work into that mix. And Deontay Davis and Ivan Rab are competing for sort of a quasi-rotation role as sort of the fourth big. And so, you know, I, I, I think it's fairly settled, but you do have still some open questions back at point guard and how you're going to set up your wing rotation. You mentioned James Ennis, who we haven't really talked about very much yet. Right. I think he is a very underrated player at this yep. point. And is it like, I really was impressed with what he was able to do. I mean, he didn't shut down Kawhi Leonard by any means, but he certainly was by far their best option. He was the only guy who didn't just get completely steamrolled by Leonard in the playoffs. I felt I felt that once they moved him into guarding Leonard more, that that series changed somewhat in their favor. He hit shots okay. I mean, he did have that one, I think it was in game six, where he just kind of was wide open in the corner and just didn't shoot it for whatever reason. But, you know, he in general, I thought he, he hit enough shots uh, to stay on the floor. He's athletic and get out in transition. I mean, I think he's he's not quite there yet, but I think he's close to being uh, the three and D uh, three man that so many teams coveted. Yeah, he's sort of like your league average three and D. Like, he's not a great defender, but he's at least like a league average wing defender. He's yeah. got a great three point shooter, but he's at least like a league average three point shooter. He's a guy that's going to hit 36, 37 percent maybe when he's spotted up and he's open. And if you can if you can hold your own as a as a three point shooter and a defender, and and you can play and you're healthy and can play a couple positions, and I, he's a very useful player to have. He, he started 28 games for the Grizzlies last season because of the injuries, and I, I don't think that's a bad over under number for him this season too. I think he's going to play a lot more than people sort of expect. I wrote I wrote last week in one of my columns that he's the player who there's the most there's been the most disconnect between how little people talk about him in Memphis and how much he actually means to the team. Um, he's going to be the guy because you have after Conley and Gasol, you have all these veterans with serious injury questions and all these young players who have not proven anything at all. And he's sort of the one guy. Him and Jamichael Green are the guys in the middle who they are they are mid career healthy mid career veterans who can depend on to soak up minutes with solid play. And he's going to play a lot a lot for this team. Now he, he gets overextended when you ask him to make plays with the ball, and 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 so that's sort of the problem for him, which is why I'll be interested, I'll be interested to see how David Fisdell does combinations on the wing and on the perimeter. I would almost want to see James Ennis maybe playing with a Tyreek Evans, and so you have you know you so you have a playmaker or maybe Wayne Selvin playing with a Chandler Parsons and trying to balance defender and playmaker and some of those wing combinations. I wonder if he might do that. Also, I think you might see some of those double point guard looks like with Conley Chalmers, in which case you know Ennis is probably a good fit and with, with those combinations too. But I think James Ennis will play a lot as a role player on this team. Yeah, and we talked about their defense. I think now uh, Tony Allen was still a, a positive contributor to that. It, with him gone now, at the Ennis and Green combination at the Ford, neither of those guys is just an absolute lockdown guy, but they all have the versatility really to switch and allow this team to switch one through four at times. And so like that's just having two kind of average guys as a uh, combo forwards that can be something that really helps your defense a lot. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be helpful having one of those guys on the floor with Parsons a lot or for, for some of those reasons. If you yeah. play, you start Parsons with, with John Green, but Green can guard a lot of threes, especially bigger threes. They guard Kevin Durant, you know, fairly effectively to the degree that that could be done um, last season. And so you, you if you play in Parsons and Green together, sorry, lineup, most nights you can have Jamichael Green guard the best forward on the other team, regardless, and, and sort of hide Parsons a little bit. And you can do something similar, you know, maybe not as big, can't go up as much, but something similar with, with James Ennis. Um, and so, and so, yes. And I, I think Jamichael Green, he needs, he needs to, um, he's a little foul prone, and that's a problem for the entire Grizzlies team. I think sure. they were last in the NBA and, and um, foul rate last season, despite having a top 10 defense. Um, so foul rate is a problem um, for Green, and he can be overpowered a little bit. He's, he's, he's a little undersized for the four, but with the way the league is changing, I mean, he's he's a guy who, who, who can who can make an impact from perimeter to the rim defensively, switchable defender. I think he's got a lot of defensive value, and, and I actually think if I were doing a pecking order on this team, um, I don't think Jermichael Green will be the third leading scorer on the Grizzlies, but I think he might be the third best player on this team until you know someone proves otherwise. Yeah, I'm a little bit less confident in Green's ability to guard 
hard threes. I think he might be a little bit too slow for that if you really have a, a good score. But this, I mean, this could be one of those times where, I mean, actually Jeff Van Gunny was talking about this on Zach Lowe's podcast yesterday of why don't teams alternate based on the matchups that they're starting lineups more in the regular season. And, you know, maybe if you have a, an elite score on the other team, <laughs> starting at the wing, you go with Ennis and Green. Maybe if not, then you can get away with Parsons if Parsons is going to provide some of that offensive I, value. I advocate in situational starting lineups for the Grizzlies for years or called multiple coaches because of the presence <laughs> of Tony Allen and, and no one. I, I even one time had someone in front of Osberger who's no longer with the team but you know that's a good idea we can't talk to coaches that do it. And so because of Tony Allen was such an extreme player I for years I advocated the Grizzlies doing that with their wing starters um, to be matchup based starters but you know coaches your players like to know their roles and coaches like like you know having those solid roles so I don't think that'll happen but I, but strategically it's, it's an idea that I like. Yeah well and there's also this idea of like oh well we can't adjust to them like you know because we have like just such an amazing guy on the wing that like you know all right yeah if you if you have lebron james you can't, you can't adjust to them but you know otherwise maybe you can move guys around a little bit uh quickly here what do you expect to be the crunch time lineup for this team by the end of the year when it's really getting down to maybe playoff time i do think that that's something that really needs to be situational with the starting lineup isn't it i mean marcus all marcus all mike holly are the only sure thing i think jermichael green if he if he builds on or even duplicates what he did last season as a three-point option because of his defense i think he is likely there most of the time although with channel persons you know comes around they're gonna like persons at the four and so you sort of can't roll that out i think you know they're gonna mix and match in in between conley and gasol and i think it's very likely that their finishing lineup will, will not match their starting lineup you know if they end up starting a selden parsons green um trio between conley and gasol i i think most more often than not they probably won't be finishing lineup um i think you're gonna see if chalmers is as healthy as he looks i think you're gonna see chalmers finishing games a lot i think Con- i, I would surprise me to see like a um conley chalmers even like a conley chalmers in it green gasol because innocent chalmers can both defend they can both knock down open threes and and so i mean that's a lineup that wouldn't surprise me to see a lot yeah and maybe evans could get into that mix as well especially if he's having a good game maybe macklemore can get into that mix as well i mean i think the two you could have any of those right. three guys out, out there as well and with gasol out there evans not a great yeah, spot I, of I think there's all kinds yeah. there's all kinds of combinations all kinds yeah. of combinations two through th- two two three and four um that they, that they could use what do you see as I the don't big think you'll have a yeah. One. yeah so sorry what, what do you see as the big strengths of, of the squad it's it, it's following us all i mean it, it, i think i said that last year when you asked and it's these guys this is their this is their 10th season together but they're both i mean they're both you know should be post prime age-wise but they're both coming off last season was their best combined season together they are both consensus top 30 players in the league if you look at most of you know the the player rankings that we've done this summer um, they've been playing together 10 years. You know, there's a point guard. It's a big man. It's, it's, it's a pick and roll combination with an all defensive pedigree, which is very rare in the league. They, they, they both create, they both shoot, they both defend their leaders off the floor. I mean, this team, this team has enormous roster questions and enormous risk and uncertainty, um, three through 15, basically. But to me, Mike Colley and Marcus all are about as solid of a foundation as you can have without having a true superstar on your team. And, you know, those guys have been together 10 years. They're, they're going for the eighth straight playoff appearance together um i just think that, that they are a rock solid foundation in terms of in terms of you know we trying to win games in the regular season and so everything everything that's strong about this team starts with those two guys and almost ends with those two guys although i do think they have a little more lineup versatility this season potentially if they have good health they have more lineup versatility than they've had in the past you know and looking at it i don't see anything that just statistically really jumps off the map i mean those two guys for sure but then they may the things that those guys bring they probably have depth it's in other areas they end up being somewhat average there defensively you know i don't know that they project to be just like an unbelievable team they used to be great at forcing turnovers that's probably in the rear view mirror now with allen gone so it is difficult to identify anything as a major strength for this squad you know three-point shooting gasol provides a lot of spacing but the other positions are probably a little bit below average so there's a a lot of yin and yang there for these strengths but then you know i can't really point necessarily uh, to any huge weaknesses that this team has well, I think their weakness is is, is proven depth, proven proven health. Yeah. Um, you look at, I mean, Chandler. After once you get past Conley, Gasol, and 
you know, Green and Ennis as secondary players. The rest of the roster is either veterans with serious injury questions or kids who have never done anything. And so you have a combination of Chandler Parsons, Brandon Wright, who we haven't really talked about, Tyreek Evans, yeah. Mario Chalmers. Those are four veterans they're probably going to depend on to play rotation roles. Those four players combined to play 102 games last season. Um, you know, Brandon Wright played 40 games total in two seasons with the Grizzlies. Um, so they have massive injury and health-related questions with those four players. And and if and if they get if there are similar problems, but those players have similar problems to what they've had in the recent past, they're going to be dependent heavily on a lot of rookie contract players who are second rounders and undrafted players who have never proven anything. And so I think I think the roster talent on this team has a lot of downside to it, a lot of risk in terms of injury and in terms of health. Now, if you're talking about just specific attributes, you know, it's sort of interesting to me to talk about the strengths and weaknesses because in the past this team had very stark strengths and weaknesses, right? right? They were a great defensive team, they were a great rebound team, they were a terrible three point shooting team. And so they were a stylistically stark team. I think for better or worse, and compared to the best of, you know, the great grind era, it's going to be worse. But this team, this is a team that's trending more toward average, like across the board to me in a lot of ways. They're going to be more of an average three-point shooting team. I think, you know, last year they were seven defense and 19 offense. I, I, I suspect those are going to move toward, those are going to move toward each other. It's the old Grizzlies recipe of being elite defense and mediocre offense. If they have a recipe for similar success this year, it's going to be more of a balance. It's going to be, you know, can you bump up to a number 15, 14, 13 offense, but, you know, while moving down to a 12, 13, 14 defense. It's not going to be that division between defense and offense. It's going to be trying to find more of a balance between two. So I think it's just going to be more more of an average kind of team stylistically and probably more of an average kind of team performance-wise. Yeah, some of the stats that jump out to me as I look at it, you know, they were ninth in offensive rebound percentage last year. I expect that to really plummet without Zach. So much of that is, yeah, and Tony Allen. Yeah, those those guys were big-time offensive rebounders. But they're also 28th in just e-field goal percentage, just the pure shooting component of offense. I think that's got to get better, right? I mean, if Andrew Harrison is out of the rotation, Randolph, you mentioned how bad he was. Yeah, I mean, it's a player made earlier. I mean, they, they yeah. devoted 3,500 minutes to players with, with EFGs under 42%. I, I really think they, 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 they spent more minutes on truly bad shooters last season than any other team in the league. And so, you know, I think their backup point guard situation one way or the other will be better, whether that's by, by Mario Chalmers or it's because Harrison and Baldwin are second-year players instead of first-year players. It's going to at least be a little bit better. You know, you're not going to have Chandler Parsons shooting 32% or whatever it was for 40 games. I mean, it'll, it may not be great, but it'll be better. And so I think I think the collective offensive performance for this team you know i again they're not going to be a top 10 offense in the nba they may not be a top 15 offense but i do think their offense is going to improve this season yeah maybe you could say that with randolph gone they may not be as good at getting to the foul line where they ranked 11th last season mike conley is very dependent on those field contact and barf up a jumper yeah but or, I, or I don't, I don't know if was getting to the free throw line that much last season though no am i uh am i remembering him from past years a little bit too much yeah i i think i i think I think that part oh, of the Oh, yeah, you're right. Really he didn't blind. at all. He, I'm sorry. That was totally Yeah, wrong. he was yeah. more of a jab step, mid-range jump shooter type a lot of last season. Yeah, so really, a lot of that is driven by Conley. He's uh, had a great free throw rate, 37%. And we'll see whether he can keep that up with the new rules might be in effect there. But he low-key is really one of the best in the league uh, at doing something that I hate watching. But, you know, feeling a little contact, especially on his floaters, he'll just feel some yeah. contact, throw something up, and, and get to the foul line on those ways. Because it's not like he's, like, powering to the rim and going through people and getting fouls in the traditional sense. Yeah, he was quite artistic in drawing some of those fouls last season. <laughs> okay, let's uh, get to our predictions here. I will go first so I can't be accused of mirroring the guests. The over-under for this team, 37 and a half, which I was surprised that it's that low. I went with the over, uh, although certainly there is the injury risk, the performance decline risk from Gosol and Conley, but I think I'm going to go with 42 wins uh, for this group this year. Um, last season, I I, um, my expectations were trending down over the course of the summer. And so I think when I did your podcast last year, I predicted 46. By the time I wrote my, my, my own preview for the paper, I did a prediction there, I downgraded to 45, ended up 43, which I thought, you know, with the Parsons injury was, 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 was sort of a wash. This season, I'm kind of going the other way a little bit. I, I've gotten more optimistic as summer's gone on because of better health reports on Parsons and Evans and Chalmers. Um, and so I think I'm more optimistic about the Grizzlies relative to their expectations, although I don't expect them to be necessarily better than last season. 
I actually have the same prediction you do. I've got him at 42 and 40. Yeah, and I, I am a little wary of that. I mean, because 37 I think and a half. I than upside. Yeah, yeah. no, I, that seems fair to me. I, and I just, you always worry, because if Gasol and Conley, I, I mean, they were 43 wins last year, and you can say, well, that was with Gasol and Conley having these unbelievable years, right? Like, what if they decline? But I do think that I agree with you. Now, they lost Tony Allen. They lost that Randolph. That's probably what's driving, you know, just the public idea that they're going to be a lot worse this year. You know, as we've talked about, how much they can contributed is debatable uh, and so they've got all these unknown guys and flyers and so to some extent you just have to hope that some of those guys work out and give them more than you know Vince Carter in that category as well another guy from last year that they lost so I, I may kick myself for going this high you know usually I try to price in injuries and performance decline a little bit more but I, I think they're going to be able to get something out of these guys who are a little bit more unheralded or are, are coming off injury or you know are growing into their roles yeah I mean my main source of optimism such that, that it is, is that I, I just I become convinced they are likely to get to have better collective perimeter play this season than they did yeah. last season, um, and and that's the main thing. And so yeah, they need Conley and Gasol to roughly repeat what they did last season, and if that doesn't happen, yeah, it's going to it could fall apart. So I certainly think there's more downside than upside, but you know I I, I feel like this team is going to be a competitive team. You know whether they make the playoffs, I don't know, but I think they'll at least be in the race heading into, heading towards the spring. Yeah, and they're going to try to. I mean I think. You, you can count on that as well um uh, so you said you th- you see the upside as being less than the downside but uh yeah. what do you see as the best case scenario for these guys um i don't know maybe 48 like i have a hard time even envisioning a best case that gets them into the 50s um but i could see you know gasol and Conley repeat what they did last season jamal green takes a little step forward you know maybe instead of being a 30 37 38 three-point shooter on two attempts a game can they do it on three attempts a game can he sort yeah. of take a little bit of a step forward um can they get Gent roughly healthy seasons from Tyreek Evans and sort of comeback player of the year seasons if the, that award still existed from Tyreek Evans and Chandler Parsons. Does the backup point guard thing solidify? I think if it all comes together, I mean, I think Fisdell's a good coach. I think if it all comes together, this team could, could push their way up toward 50. I have a hard time seeing them getting there. Yeah, I just wonder whether, like, the defense has the upside to get to the 50 wins. I actually think they could be a little better offensively, but I would, repeating that top 10 effort, just looking at the talent that they have, I mean, maybe they're going to be yeah, more coached. They have some institutional knowledge but yeah i don't know what do you think i expect the defense slide but i still expect it to be an above average defense i think it'll be in the upper half of the league defensively because you know you lost tony allen but zach randolph was a was a bad like an actively bad defender for this team last sure. season and so you know mike conley marcus all jermichael green as your three starters that's a pretty good sort of foundation defensively you know i think james ennis is a good defender i think selden has potential i think backup point guard the questions are offense but i think you know there's defensive potential in all those guys um, Deonta Davis could help their rebounding. Again, they're not going to be the elite defense they used to be, but I, I think they can be an above-average defense. So, so I think that's why the offense improves. Uh, you get sort of more of a mix in the middle. What about, uh, I would actually say 50 wins for my best case. So what about uh, worst case? Like 32? I mean, yeah. the theory, if like Conley or Saul goes down for the season, it could be worse than that. But I do think right. I do think there's so much health risk with with the veterans on this team, and there's a chance that the good, none of the young players are good at all, because none of them have been good honestly in the nba and so if none of the young players step up and then you have injuries hit some combination of parsons and Wright and evans which is which is likely um there again there's, there's more downside with this team than upside um and there's always the case i don't think this will happen i think the team really wants to be competitive um but there is a chance that if, if the bottom falls out that, that you know if a marcus hall says i'm ready to move on like it could get blown up i don't think that's going to happen i think the team does very much does not want that to happen but it is at least a possibility yeah you know he did have those comments in the spanish right. media about you know we need to keep building or you know i would think about potentially moving on uh, last question what did you make of it um it was kind of like in politics it's called a kinsley gas when you accidentally say the truth um, it was kind <laughs> of, i mean the reality of what he said is not surprising to anyone because of course like it happens all over the league all the time you have a star player who's <laughs> on the back half of his career on a big contract teams can't be good forever unless they're the spurs and so at some point the the, the status of a player the status of the team start to diverge and that happens I mean sometimes players stay put like Dark Nowitzki did in Dallas but sometimes they go like Carmelo Anthony did in New York and so you know it happened here before with Pal Gasol with his brother and so the idea that the Grizzlies would would would, would be would be incapable of being a playoff team while Gasol is still a high level player on a big contract is not at all an unlikely scenario and were that to happen the idea that that, that Gasol and or the team would decide it was best to, to move on is not an unlikely scenario either and so I think he was 
was just stating, I didn't think it was controversial other than it's not something people usually say. I think he was stating the obvious, that there may come a time where, where it makes sense for those parties to, to, um, to split ways. I, I don't think the team wants that to be the case um, this season. I, I think um, I, I think they are skittish about blowing it up and, and being really, really bad, for better or worse. I think a lot of small market teams are like that. Um, and they have this weird situation with the Pictao Boston hanging out there, right. which you could, you could argue what the incentives are with that, whether the incentives are to be really bad so you keep a high pick or just to try to hang on and be a competitive team for two more years and give them a pick that you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, and get it out of the way there. So I think you can argue what the incentives are there. I just think when they signed Conley and Gasol to those contracts, they were very committed to trying to be a good team for the links of their contracts and then they and then pivot. And so I think the team is, wants to try to avoid a blow-up. If the bottom falls out, it might happen anyway. And if Gasol decided, or Conley, but Gasol more likely, decided to to um, to, to um, put a thumb on the scale, then that, that would change everything too. And so I, I think that possibility lingers out there i do not think it's likely this season. yeah a couple of points in reaction to what you just said just so we have it here that pick they owe to boston from the jeff green trade is top eight protected in 2019 top six in 2020 and then unprotected in 2021 so yeah it does make it difficult there especially with the new lottery rules as well make it kind of more difficult actually to keep that pick even if you are one of the eight worst teams in the nba and then also there's that report from zach Lowe just about how low their local revenues are and that they I think they right. probably feel from a business standpoint they can't get to be really bad and then with Gasol you know I think the question is okay what is building towards something right I mean are the if they are the seventh seed or the eighth seed this year and they get killed in the first round you know is that enough for him or does he need to feel like hey we got to at least well, be able to get into maybe potentially having home court advantage in a Gasol's, series Gasol is an odd personality like he really is sort of a hard guy to figure out sometimes and he doesn't seem to see he doesn't and he wants to win everybody wants to win he doesn't see he doesn't seem to see winning it Itself as the goal. He sees he, he seems to see winning itself as the byproduct. He's so it's almost Spurs like in his focus on like game by game, possession by possession, playing the right way. And he seems to see like he's focused on. He's always said it locally. He's talked about wanting an organization that's committed to giving the team the resources to everyone playing the right way. Um, I don't think he's. I mean, he wants to win. Everybody wants to win. I don't see him as the kind of player who's going to chase a championship. Yeah. And if he gets the sense that that he's just not happy with the way things are being done in Memphis and the, the team's not capable of being competitive, do I think he would want out? Yeah, I think that's likely. And I think that very well might happen. But I don't see, I don't see, a, he doesn't seem to be the kind of guy who's, who thinks I have to be in a championship situation. He thinks that he has to create that situation in part. And he just well, he wants to be on, in an organization or a team that gives him the tools for him to try to create that situation. He's a different, he's a totally different kind of guy. Yeah, he like, he, like a lot of us, he wants to enjoy going to work every day, it seems like, you know, and, and maybe right. if it reaches that point, then he would want to move on all right well i've kept you for far too long chris thanks again so much for doing this let everyone know where they can keep up with the, your awesome work and uh we'll get you out of here well, you can go for basketball stuff at least at harrington nba and you can find my columns and my occasional podcast on uh the commercial bill i work for the david mm-hmm. here in town the Memphis commercial bill find that on the website commercialbill.com all right thanks again chris and we'll be back uh, with more coming up tonight hopefully the denver nuggets with adam morris will be joining us then talk to you all then at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply 